Well, I was delighted personally to find out when I found out uh, that Pastor Kurt Aaron would be sharing the Word of God with us this morning because he's a dear brother to our church. He's from just down in San Diego at Grace Bible Church, and we welcome Kurt up here. I don't see him. Is he, is he down here? Oh, there you go. Come on up, brother. Well, good morning, brothers. I hope you rested well. I rested well after a couple nights of not resting so well, and so uh, we're going to be this morning in Psalm 50. If you want to find your way there, it is a, a great honor to be asked to give this devotional, and many of you men are far more capable, and if I let you down, talk to the GA planning committee. That's why we have the committees, right? <laughs> Psalm 50 and really just focusing on verse 15, a familiar text to many of us, I'm sure. <clears throat> Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we ask that you would give us insight and understanding into this text, a text which beckons us to call to you in those times of trouble, and we have found ourselves in callings in which there is much joy and much satisfaction on the one hand, but on the other hand, a myriad of trials and troubles, not only of our own, but those of our people which we bear. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand something of your incomparable glory and your immeasurable grace and mercy and your manifold love towards your people in particular towards those servants that you have called out to be those mouthpieces, to be those tender shepherds of a sheep. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We live in a world full of sorrow. There's no doubt about that. Uh, disappointment and grief are very common for our people, uh, for the sheep of which we are uh, charged to care for, but also even in our own lives and in the Christian ministry, Job uh, and Job 5.7, for his man is born for trouble, as sparks fly upward, you picture that campfire scene, you picture that backyard fire, and you're sitting there, and you're under the stars, and you're having fellowship, and those sparks are just radiating up, and isn't that the way the troubles often come to us? Job would respond later in 14.1, man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. I think you would agree that this is common for us in the ministry. And, and while on the one hand there is no greater calling than the Christian ministry to, to be put in charge as under shepherds for God's prized possession, his sheep, on the other hand it is the most difficult calling that there is to fulfill. That's why Lloyd-Jones has said a man should only enter the Christian ministry if he cannot stay out of it. Didn't Spurgeon say similar things in lectures to my students? He, he, he addresses that in a multitude of places. We experience various difficulties and trials, be it health trials, be it uh, diagnosis, be it broken relationships, be it conflicts that we have, depression, burdened by besetting sins, uh, being on the receiving end of gossip and slander that ought not be there. But not only of those ours, but we walk through these things with our people. And the load can become heavy and we can become weighed down. We can become discouraged. And the psalmist, as it were, gives us a, 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 really a command. Call upon me 
in the day of trouble. Samuel Rutherford says, you will not get leave to go quietly to heaven without conflict and a cross. So we shouldn't expect to be able to take to go on the flowery beds of ease, as the hymn writer has said. But we should expect these difficulties. And the whole cliche of the Monday morning blues, it's not just Monday. It can come any day, right? <laughs> Discouragement and, and frustration and, and, the, and the Christian ministry can come any day. It's not just Monday. And, and the text here, it speaks of a, an urgent occasion. Call upon me in the day of trouble. You know, when it's, it seems as though it's dark at noonday, and then as each hour advances through that day, it becomes darker and darker, and the load becomes heavier and heavier. As our bodies seem weak to, to move from one duty to the next to discharge our ministries, when unity is threatened by a strong-willed officer, and that weighs heavily on you, and, and how to navigate that and, and, and to work that out. Trouble, though, is an opportunity for God to draw near, to demonstrate the grace that only he can give, to give you the patience that you in your own frame and in the weakness of your frame could never muster up, to show himself strong, yea, even in the text as it says, to deliver you, to rescue you in those times. It's a keen reminder, isn't it, of Hebrews 4, right, that we, we come with boldness to the throne of grace we have direct access and as that text says that we may receive mercy and find grace it's not as though well i stumbled upon grace no that grace comes at just the right time that's the force of the original there in the midst of our trials we need to remember those comforting words from our savior let not your heart be troubled isn't that amazing in the upper room discourse there in john 14 he says that wasn't that an awful troubling time <laughs> for Christ as well as his disciples? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What is needed, brethren, is faith and trust that God will get us through no matter what the difficulties. So very quickly, before we, we haven't, this is all introduction, um, Let's understand something of the psalm. It's a psalm of judgment. I believe it's the first of Asaph as it comes. Uh, uh, it's a courtroom scene. There's a judge. There's indictments that are being brought. That's the broader context that we have before us. It's a solemn announcement. It's, it, it pictures a mighty king, a mighty judge, and God is introduced as El, Elohim, and Yahweh. There's a, there's a piling up, as it were, of these terms, a heaping together of the majestic names of the divine God. And so, in most of our common English translations, it's translated the same. The mighty one, God, the Lord, has spoken. Okay? It's a psalm of judgment. Calls the heavens and the earth as witnesses. And there's two indictments. One of formalism, which verses roughly 7 to 13 uh, Kidner calls it a mechanic, being mechanically pious, and isn't that what formalism is? Think of Pilgrim's Progress, uh, uh, formalist, I won't go down that road, I'd love to refer to that. And verses 14 and 15, you, short, you sort of have tucked in here the way we ought to approach God, and then the rest of the psalm addresses that of hypocrisy. In a sense, formalism is a violation against the first table of the law. Hypocrisy, a violation against the second table of the law. 
God detests both of these things. But for our purposes, that's, that's the context in which these verses come. I'm not, I don't have time for verse 14, but just reading it again. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I shall rescue you and you will honor me. So we'll consider this just very quickly. Falls into three points very easily here. Um, three Ps, the command presented, the deliverance promised, and the response presumed. So first of all, the command presented, call upon the Lord when these difficulties come, of which we've been talking. It's a, it's a gracious invitation. Don't we see it in Psalm 55? Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. Likewise, in Psalm 77, in the day of trouble, I sought the Lord. And so we ought to be, as it were, like the psalmist, that we draw near to God when these things come. The text says to call, to, to shout, as it were. And, 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 and it's, it's, to, it's a command, and so we're to shout out, but then we're to call out to me. Who is me? We'll look back at verse 1. The mighty one, God, the Lord, call upon me in those times of trouble, those times of discouragement, those times of anxiety and distress as they would weigh heavily upon us. You know, all too often, you know who we want to call on? Our fellow pastor, our friend, our wife. We, and, and really, what is that? Now, it, I'm not negating the idea of getting counsel. Pastor Elliot and others can attest to me calling and in times of trouble. But where should we go first, right? It's up to him. But we want to go horizontally, and sometimes that's a mask for grumbling and complaining and venting, as it were. So in those times of anxiety and distress, we're to call upon the Lord. When distress comes, <clears throat> oftentimes we begin deploying resources, um, maybe applying a, uh, you know, sending someone to deal with this situation and that situation. And, and it's, it's as though we fall into the temptation that we can handle this in and of our own strength, isn't it? That, that, that somehow we have the capabilities and we have the fortitude to be able to handle this situation and what folly to think that ultimately, now we would never say this, that we're the omnipotent one, right? We need to go to him alone who is omnipotent to give wisdom and to give peace in every difficulty and in every trial. Psalm 60, oh, give us help against the adversary for deliverance by man is vain. There's no deliverance from man. Listen to Spurgeon, call upon me. We ought not need the exhortation. It should be our constant habit all the day and every day. What a mercy to have liberty to call upon God. What wisdom to make good use of it. How foolish to go running about to men. The Lord invites us to lay our case before him and surely he will not hesitate to do so. This is an unconditional it's, it's whatever difficulty, whatever trouble. Our Lord, as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, the text is very strong there. He's distressed, weighed down. He's troubled. And he's, what is he doing? He's calling upon his father, right? His father does strengthen him. He, and, and, you know, the, even our Savior is resolved to do the Lord's will as we ought to be. You know, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And that needs to be our resolution in every difficulty. But we go to him. 
these difficulties that come, these troubles, are good because we can fall into presumption. We can fall into things are going so good. Things are, we're dependent upon the success of our ministry, right? And then the Lord has to get our attention, drop us to our knees, drop us to despair that, wait a minute, this is not, this is not something that, that I can handle in and of my own strength. And he is faithful, brethren, to do that to knock you down as you begin to put too much confidence in your own achievements and your own strength. He is faithful. He loves us too much. He cares about his church too much to have men going about proud and presumptuous, not dependent upon him. Spurgeon again, hope itself is like a star, not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity, but only to be discovered, discovered in the night of adversity, afflictions, are often the black foils in which God sets his jewels, the jewels of his children's graces to make them shine better, like diamonds on black velvet, right? That's really what it's all about. Think of Jonah. He's discharged with a certain calling. He's going about, he disobeys, and finally he's swallowed in the belly of the great fish. And, and, and look at that prayer that comes from there in distress, a scripture-soaked prayer we got no record of him praying previously or after for that matter, but it took being swallowed by a great fish and, the, and there's this prayer. Matthew Henry, afflictions are sent to us for this end to bring us to the throne of grace to teach us to pray. Can you imagine going through your life, going through your ministry with no difficulties whatsoever? I mean, we're prayerless enough, which I'll talk about in a moment, in this day and age of all these distractions and isms and social this and social that and all of that kind of stuff, we are so distracted. But if, if, if we never had these difficulties to knock us down, to, to throw us down, to humble us to the dust, what an immense privilege to have a place to go in prayer, such a neglected duty. We, we may not squander our time. Maybe we're discharging our time in good and noble causes. But what happens is we often neglect this duty of prayer. You see, if all of those other duties are not marked by that dependent prayer upon the Lord, it shows that we're really going about things in our own strength. Isn't that what Paul develops in Philippians 3, where he's putting confidence in the flesh, talking about the dogs earlier in, in chapter 3, and, and, and you know, he's He's got those inherited blessings, but also those personal achievements. And you know what he says there, that all of those things, uh, all that that he counts, that, that he had previously put his confidence in, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. See, he uses those banking terms, all those things that he thought were assets, all those things in the plus column are now thrown, and those are debits. And then the only asset, of course, is Christ. Picture that thing in the back of the refrigerator that you find that somehow got tucked behind all the new groceries, uh, you know, and... and you know, you're looking around, men, scrounging for something no one else is home. You open it. That's a science experiment in there. That's the idea. It's just, it's putrid. It smells. It stinks. It's like dung. And so we must call upon him in trouble. 
Secondly, the deliverance is promised. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I shall rescue you or I will deliver you as ESV. Um, God alone is able to deliver. Who is the one that will deliver? It's the mighty one. It's God. It's the Lord. He will rescue you from trouble. He will deliver you, brother. He will deliver you. Insert your name there. God has promised it. God is not a man that he should lie. Hebrews 6.18 expands on that. So that two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have taken refuge, would have strong encouragement to take hope take hold of the hope that is set before us think of joseph the life of joseph fascinating study was there immediate deliverance no it, it came in time didn't it and so god does not tell us how or when it's not in my translation maybe it's in the living or the expanded this or something maybe that's somewhere in here but it doesn't say that what does it say call upon me in the day of trouble and i will deliver you we're not told how we're not told when and we need to resolve ourselves to trusting in the sovereign providence of God. Maybe it's a difficult church member, the guy who comes, he's been to six different churches in the last two years, and, and here, and not a member, some you know, these kind of guys that you probably wouldn't let join. But he's there, and, and you know, he's the first one up to you every time, and you kind of miss this, and you miss that little thing, and by the way, why aren't you doing this, and, and this kind of thing, and you pray, and you take that to the Lord, and and it finally, you, you look for that opportune time to gently confront, and maybe he listens and his heart has changed. He receives the admonishment, right? Or maybe suddenly he gets a, a job transfer and he's taken out of the area. The Lord can deliver in different ways, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> we've had that happen a couple times. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> um, Paul, the thorn of the flesh, you know, um, what was the answer there? The deliverance was that he was given grace to endure so that now he has a renewed perspective that power is perfected in his weakness. So sometimes it's a renewed perspective. It's changing our understanding on something in particular. Peter, walking on the water, takes his eyes off the Lord, begins to sink. Lord, save me. That was immediate, wasn't it? You think of uh, other situations, William Perry's first wife, I believe it's first, first wife, Dorothy, when she fell into becoming insane and no doubt many prayers for her deliverance, but he kept her confined inside the house, even around the children, which impacted them. And, and, and the Lord never did bring her out of it, but he loved her and kept her from going to the asylum by caring for her. Hebrews 11, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we must trust in him that he will give the deliverance at the right time. And furthermore, we must have confidence that he will deliver in one way or another. We may not know how, it may not be the way that we ask to be delivered in a, very, in a certain situation. You remember in Daniel 3 when the men were thrown in the furnace says, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king, you pagan king, right? And so to have that confidence, Noah was delivered in the ark. Sometimes our deliverance comes in a way that is not gladly welcomed by many. And that's what? Departure from this world. In the hall of faith, Hebrews 11, I'm running out of time. Um, <laughs> that clock is a nice big one there. Uh, ours is little. <laughs> but uh, 
Hebrews 11, verse 37. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, and they were tempted, and they were put to death with the sword. Um, I already had William Borden in my notes before Rick uh, mentioned that at, at length. So now, if you were here Monday night, you've already heard the story, but 25 years old, he's gone. He wants to give his life to the Lord, um, multimillionaire from the Borden Milk Company and other endeavors that the family had, and he never made it to China to minister to those Muslims. The Lord took him out of this world. Which is better, temporal deliverance or permanent deliverance? And that's the mindset we must have, and it's the mindset of our Lord Jesus Christ. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he goes on to, to develop that. You know, to remain here is better for you, but I long to be there. So we've seen the command presented, the deliverance promised, and very quickly the response presumed. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Our duty to offer those spiritual sacrifices to God. God, when he shows himself strong, when he shows himself to be compassionate, when he enters in, as it were, by virtue of their great high priest, sympathizing with us in those situations, what should that do? That should loosen our lips to give praise to him who is worthy. And it manifests itself very practically in, in greater adoration and greater love for him in our very worship of him. So we cry with the psalmist, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Think back on those past deliverances and, and don't ever put confidence in the means of deliverance. The means of deliverance, may, God uses different means, doesn't he? Study our confession, chapter 5. But we need to realize it ultimately comes from him. I will deliver you and you will honor me. He gets the glory. We can often become like those nine lepers. You remember the, the ten lepers? And, and what does Jesus say? He says, he answered and he says, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found to return to give glory of God except for this foreigner? The Samaritan is the one that came back. Isn't that marvelous? We can fall into that often. We can forget. We can be dull. We forget those past deliverances. We, 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 you know, it's Pilgrim's Progress, isn't it? Mountaintop experiences, and then the valley of the shadow of death to humble us, to remind us, but then very, it's not long after that that things begin to go well. Again, we can forget these things. So God must get the glory. Well, a couple of quick concluding points here. Praise God for the access we have to him in that day of trouble. When these days come, it's a, it's a reminder to call upon him. It's a reminder that indeed we have a reigning great high priest in heaven who is interceding on our behalf. That, that is ultimately the head of the church. Remind yourselves, you're not the senior pastor. Christ is. He is the head of the church. You're an under-shepherd and you're expendable. Remember that. Use your memory to recall God's blessings. Those times when he's shown himself strong. Those times when, when you could sense the, 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 the compassion that is so thick that, that he understands exactly what we're going through. Those times of deliverance when we've cried out and he showed himself strong. To have that uh, biblical perspective that each one of these difficult seasons that we go through are for the molding and the shaping of our character to make us more useful in the kingdom should he tarry and should he give you more years to serve. 
some foolishly say when these things come, God has turned against me. Maybe I'm doing something wrong, and I don't think many in this room. But we need to remember what Sinclair Ferguson says. Trials are not threats on God's purposes, but further indications of how meticulously faithful he is to that purpose. Trials are not threats upon God's purposes, but further indications of how meticulously faithful he is to that purpose. And that purpose is making you and you more like Christ, so that you will be more of a tender shepherd unto sheep that come beaten and bruised into your congregations, so that you will be like Christ in that. What an independent, a great invitation to draw near to God in humility and dependence. Call upon him when you have that study block, you know, writer's block, study block, where, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to work things out or, or where your counseling load triples in a week or, or in, a, in a, a series of weeks right before you have extra commitments already and, and it's eating all of your time when you sense that loneliness that only he can really fill when you see the seedbeds of division in your church and you're navigating it because maybe you've handled those things wrong in the past and you want to be delicate, you want to handle this very, very carefully and you need wisdom. When you've allowed the demands of ministry to affect how you treat your wife and your children, call upon him. When you suffer an injury and you deal with chronic pain for the rest of your life, when you've had various surgeries and there's still effects that that, that, you know, that, that you're struggling with, like some of us here, when you have unusually difficult years, as some of our brothers have this year, remember that yours is coming, right? And remember this verse and remember this morning, I hope. Embrace trouble, since it is ultimately, as you know, brethren, sent from God for his glory and for our God good. George Swinock, Puritan, says, a sanctified person is like a silver bell harder he is smitten the better he sounds and isn't that true so gain perspective on these truths and and i submit to you really by seasons of prayer uh, carve out a day uh, have a day of solitude a day of prayer and fasting immensely helpful to regain focus horatius bonar has a great little uh, book on uh, ministerial confessions and i encourage you to read that as well as his words, The Winner of Souls, which we should have at our next GA and give to every pastor, but uh, a little note there, but, uh, but this is what he says. Um, there's several different sections. We have been selfish. We have been slothful. We have been cold. We have been timid. We have not been men of prayer, and he addresses, I'll, I'll expand on that one. The closet has been too little, sorry, let me start. Uh, the closet has been too little frequented and delighted in. We have allowed business and study and active labor to interfere with our closet hours. And I would insert many other distractions, which you can, you know what you're distracted by. And listen to this. A feverish atmosphere has found its way into our closet, disturbing the sweet calm of its blessed solitude. Sleep, company, idle visiting, foolish talking, jesting, idle reading and unprofitable occupations in gross time that might have been redeemed for prayer. So these are just a few things of a divine remedy for troubled pastors and missionaries. Let's pray.
Father, indeed, we thank you that your word is trusted, that, that it is alive, that it speaks to our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would remind us of these truths, that we would be men marked by a humble dependence upon you to strengthen us for every activity in our churches, that we would not be proud and presumptuous. And Lord, we would say that when we do fall into that pride, that you would knock us down you would humble us and we know that you are faithful because you care about your prized possession the church and the gospel which is precious and we want to represent it properly so have your way we ask in jesus name